All the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. Drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. We recognize that. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. That is a very, very large statement to make. Are we actually giving ourselves away? How much do we fight what God brings into our lives? Do we resist what God is doing? Do we make every attempt we can to change it? Or do we allow God to do what He's going to do? This is some grown-up Christianity stuff. I have good news. Very good news. Tabernacle Baptist Church in Mims, one of our sister churches, is no longer without a pastor. After 18 months, their pastor's name is Andy Pollard. His wife's name is Diana. Please add them to your prayer list under Fellowship Pastors on Sunday. Uh, Andy and Diana Pollard in Mims. Um, I have not met them. I'm looking forward to meeting them. I think it'd be good for us as a church to send them a card congratulating them, congratulating him. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Um, well, let me let me qualify my statement. We believe strongly as Baptists in church autonomy. We believe that each local church answers to God itself. We don't answer to another church. That being said, we don't communicate a lot with other churches. And a lot of denominations, the, the, the denomination itself runs the different churches, and so every church knows what's going on in every other church. If we're not careful, we isolate ourselves, and that's not good. Uh, so um, uh, let's keep all our fellowship churches in prayer and, and um, be sure to thank the Lord for giving them a pastor. They've been looking for a long, long time. Chronological study of the Bible. Solomon has built the temple. He has written his Proverbs. Very important. He has written his Proverbs. Now he is quoting others. This is important to remember. Proverbs chapter 23. We're going to begin with verse number 1 today. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 1. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler... Jesus taught something very similar, which Ray read to us a minute ago. When thou sittest to eat with the ruler... By the way, how often does it happen that we sit to eat with rulers? How many of y'all have ever sat and eat with a ruler? Okay. Ramona has. Um, um, dude on the back row has. Jerry. Jerry. I'm sorry. It's a king thing. It's, it's got nothing to do with Jerry. It has everything to do with my genetics. This actually does happen a lot, a lot more than we realize. This is anyone in authority. Anyone in authority. A ruler is anyone in authority. Maybe a supervisor at work. Maybe even a spouse. When thou sittest thee with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. 
think about what is happening. You have been invited to spend time with someone in authority. Think about what is happening. Put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Do whatever it takes to maintain self-control. In a position of being with someone in authority, it is very, very tempting to enjoy the moment. Either because we are finally being recognized, which at work this happens um, quite often when the supervisor finally asks you your opinion, that's something that, that feels good, but we've got to be careful. Consider what is before thee. Do whatever it takes to maintain self-control. Do not be desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. The word meat in the King James always means food. Deceitful food. What he's doing may not be what it appears to be. Why has he asked me here? Why does he want my opinion? Why does he want my presence? Again, this is not just talking about kings and presidents because very rarely does that happen for us. But all of us from time to time are invited to be in a smaller setting with someone in authority on some level. And again, it may just be at work. I think the work problem is when this happens the most. Why has he asked me here? I wonder, by the way, if the person who originally said this could have been talking about Solomon. Could he have been talking about Solomon and Solomon doesn't even realize it? I think it's very, very possible that whoever wrote this is talking about sitting with Solomon. Bottom line, talk to everyone as though they need guidance from Jesus. Talk to everyone as though they need guidance from Jesus. Whether it's a king like Solomon, whether it's a supervisor at work, whether it's a city official. I don't know about you, but at the gas company, sometimes we are um, in, in, we have these, these dinners and the board members come and the board is made up of a city officials and, and they make me nervous. Because it's like, all right, I know the way politicians think and everything means something else and everything you say they can use against you and, and that sort of thing. I just get nervous. This concept applies. Talk to everyone as though they need guidance from Jesus, even if they're a Christian. Even if you were talking to Billy Graham, talk to everyone as though they need guidance from Jesus. Don't just enjoy the moment. Don't enjoy the experience. Grab the opportunity. The Apostle Paul did this better than anybody as he was brought in court. But the same thing, in court, talk to everyone as though they need guidance from Jesus. Now, how do we give guidance from Jesus? We've got to keep God's Word in our mind. We're not going to have the opportunity to stand and open the Bible and say, well, this is what the Bible says. We've got to be familiar with what Jesus would say in this particular situation. But don't let that meeting be so important we leave Jesus out of it, is what he's saying here, I believe. Their motivation may be otherwise. In fact, usually is. 
Usually their motivation is not just to enjoy our company. Usually their motivation um, is um, there's something going on we need to talk about, but I don't want you to get your guard up, and so I'm going to put you in a position that is relaxed. By the way, this is a wonderful way to, to, um, to witness to people. Just invite them to lunch. Their motivation may be otherwise, but God often uses the raw motivation of others to create opportunities. The motivation for Paul going before the rulers in court was to get Paul dead, but Paul used the opportunity. I believe that's what this writer is talking about. When thou sittest deep with the ruler, consider what is before thee. Not so much try to figure out what's really happening, but literally see it as an opportunity to share for Jesus, what Jesus might add in the situation, don't become enamored with whoever the person is that's with us. Verse number four, labor not to be rich, cease from thy own wisdom. See it through God's eyes, is what that says. Cease from thy own wisdom. See it through God's eyes. This directly relates to the one just before it. See the situation the way that God sees the situation. See it the way Jesus would see the situation. Did Jesus labor to be rich? Well, of course not. He didn't even try. But, let's be honest, Jesus could create money out of fish's mouths. How often did he do it? Once once often we look at jesus and we say he did not have the stress that i have because he could rescue himself the question is how often did he rescue himself almost never did jesus rescue himself from the situation so jesus relates to the pressure of the moment labor not to be rich cease from thine own wisdom wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not what? Wilt thou set thine eyes on that which is not? Can you see something that's not really there? Look, the answer is no. You can't. You can't see something that's not really there. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. In America particularly, but in the Roman society as well, they were very into building up personal wealth, building up personal prestige, being somebody. That's why the way why nowadays when they build new houses, they're never small houses. Their houses are always larger. And when we talk about our own house, we claim that it's small, but it's almost always bigger than what we grew up in. It's just the way Americans think. We have to accomplish something. We have to achieve something. He says riches certainly make themselves wings. They are not really there. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Riches really, in fact, are not something we can attain. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. This happens every day. The problem is we only notice the good things people have. Pick any celebrity from years ago. In fact, I would encourage you right now, in your own mind, pick a celebrity who you thought had the life. Pick any celebrity from years ago. 
and check how they are now. I dare you. I dare you. We see people at the height of their success, but if we actually go and research where some of these people are, most of them have very, very little to say for all the wealth they used to have. Wealth is not a goal. Okay? Cease from our own wisdom. Going back to the first proverb, if we're in a position to be around someone who can influence our position, influence them. Don't look for how they can influence us. At the gas company, and I'm very familiar with this stuff because right now, uh, half of the nation wants to take natural gas and shut it down. They, they want it to just go away. Well, that creates a problem for people in my industry. Oh, yeah. And so they're in a mad dash trying to get people to see the value so that they won't want to shut it down. There is so much schmoozing going on in the natural gas industry. It's amazing how much they love a certain politician as long as they're talking about natural gas, either side. But as soon as the topic changes, they will turn on that person just like that. Just like that. It's like, wait a second, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Well, it depends on what he, does, what he thinks about such and such. Is it possible that we're in the position not to save an industry, but to influence them with something with Jesus? Is it possible? I think we need to keep that in the back of our mind for if and when it ever does happen because it could. It absolutely could. Again, it might just be your supervisor. It might just be your spouse. But it's someone who has the ability to make your life a little different. Don't just get wrapped up in the situation. Think it through. Don't look for ways to make your life better, more comfortable. Think it through. Give them something from Jesus and then watch what Jesus can do without them. We don't know who Solomon is quoting, by the way, but it sounds like he learned it the hard way. That'd be my guess. My guess is whoever wrote this, as Solomon's quoting, probably got caught up in government and probably got burned by it, again, possibly by Solomon himself. Solomon was a very, very wise leader. But very quickly, he's going to go south spiritually. Quick. Don't assume that Solomon's a good guy at this point. I think very much when he built the temple, he thought, this is going to protect me if I go the wrong direction. God said, that's not going to happen. I think right in the Proverbs was Solomon's attempt to maintain self-control, but as fast as he's going to drop spiritually, I can't help but believe he's beginning to drift. I don't know that. It just It's too big of a change in too short of a time period. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not, but Solomon turns on a dime as you look at, at, at the record in Scripture. And it's like, all right, how did that happen so quickly? And I think that it happened more slowly than we appreciate Following the leading of Jesus gives us endless guidance and supply of our needs. If we follow what Jesus leads us to do step by step, we don't need politicians. We don't need supervisors. We don't need anybody. 
Jesus will lead us into success based on what he sees as the right path. In my opinion, this is the most valuable benefit of salvation outside of heaven. And when I say that, I mean this. A lot of people get saved to stay out of hell. Okay? To me, that, that's, that's just a, a drop in the bucket of what is available when we get saved. Once we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us to guide us. If we will follow that guidance, you cannot make a mistake. Does that mean you're going to have not going to have any problems? Of course not. He will lead us into problems, and His Scripture almost always does lead people into problems. Why does He lead people into problems? Problems build strength. I was talking to my boss um, Friday, and she was talking about how that different things happen and, and, and why they happen. So many bad things happen. I said, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but in the Bible most problems that Christian has, Christians have is not because they were bad people. God was doing something in the problem. So is it possible we're just looking at the problem in the wrong way? She said, I've never thought about that. Interesting how these little opportunities will pop up if you give them a chance. Problems give us opportunity to seek God. If we will seek God and follow His guidance, doing the best that we can, we're going to be sinners, we're not going to be perfect. If we'll follow His guidance, we can confidently know we're doing what He wants us to do. If He's going to lead us, we have to expect Him to actually lead us. So as we look for that direction, we look for that guidance, we can be confident we're doing the right thing. Supply of our needs, he promised to supply our needs. So why in the world are we so concerned about building up a bank account? Or, 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 Again, we need to be wise. We need to follow scriptural guidelines and staying out of debt and that sort of thing. But there's some people that are so scared. of. I used to work for a Christian who was scared to death he was going to lose a dollar. I mean, he was terrified that at any moment I was going to, as his employee, I was going to do something that was going to make him miss a sale. And I thought, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. Christians, we shouldn't worry about God providing for us. We should be worried about what does God want me to be doing and then expect God to provide for us. Verse 6. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, Neither desire thou his dainty meats. Again, meat in the King James is always food. Don't desire thou his, his fancy food. Very similar to verse 3. Very similar. This person, though, is shady. This is a shady person. This is not just a ruler or a powerful person. This is a shady person. Maybe they have no influence at all. But you just you get this feeling about them. They're doing things that just don't seem right. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The question is this, how do we know what he's thinking in his heart? We don't. We don't. So at this point in the situation, we've got to assume everybody is a sinner. Just assume everybody's a sinner and be cautious. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Again, very similar to sitting with the ruler and considering what is in front of you. It's, it's, it may be something different than what you expect. With shady people, it very often is the case. Why does this person want to be around me? Shady people. Why do shady people want to be around me? 
Believe it or not, folks, it's likely not for my wonderful personality. If it was my wonderful personality, they would have already wanted to be around me. But shady people that suddenly show up, what is it that has them interested in me? How should I look at it? The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. You see, and don't buy into it. Don't buy into the flattery, particularly with shady people. We must remember that people are sinners. All of them are sinners. Like Samson and Delilah. When, there's no better example than this. Samson and Delilah, they often will turn on us when we stop giving them what they really want. My grandkids do this all the time. And I know that's a big jump from a shady person to a grandkid. I'm telling you, it's the same thing, particularly one of the three. One of the three, I'm always on guard because this grandchild of mine knows how to play the game. It's very, very easy to tell when this grandchild does not want anything from you because this grandchild, I'm not saying boy or girl, this grandchild won't acknowledge you're there, but suddenly, oh, I love you, Grandpa. I love you. But what do you want? It's exactly what this is talking about. Occasionally, by the way, someone wants me to help them make money. Over the years, I've had different people want me to sell Amway, want me to do Primerica. Uh, I don't know how many of you have gotten caught up with that sort of thing. As long as you are helping them accomplish their goals, they love you. But as soon as you stop providing what they need from you, suddenly you're a bad guy. Eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Why is he, does he have me here? If it begins to go off course, go back to verse number 3 and give him guidance from Jesus. If the person such as a grandkid, turns negative because we won't produce. That's a wonderful opportunity to say, well, do you think Jesus wants you to have this? Wonderful opportunity. Or we could just get angry and, and have nothing to do with them. By the way, if we get angry at people because they sin, we're going to be angry at everybody all the time. Okay? We need to look at these opportunities literally as opportunities. What guidance does this person need from Jesus? And flip it. Flip it on them. Verse 9. Speak not in the ears of the fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Speak not in the ears of a fool. We saw this in Proverbs 1.22, chapter 9, verse 8, and chapter 12, verse 1. This is written by someone who agrees with Solomon. Again, the, he's quoting other people at this particular point. This is not saying to find out if a person is foolish before we try to teach. Do I have to find out if the person who's listening is a fool? That's not what this is saying at all. It's saying not to push it on them. Don't push it on them. 
sometimes we are so eager to fix people, we shove it down their throat. If they won't receive it, if they won't receive things from God, that means they are foolish. And all of us are foolish in one way or another. All of us are. If they're not receiving it, slow down. Give people as much as they can handle, but don't beat them up. And there's so many Christians that beat up, particularly family members. They just go after family because they're frustrated. They don't know how to fix this situation. And so instantly they're on guard. Don't treat them as though they're capable of all the information you're giving them. Give them just enough to keep them seeking. Give them as much as they can handle. A good rule of thumb is this. Make sure they can see the next step. Make sure they can see the next step. Give an example. In my family, we were all raised with sovereign grace. All of us were. I mean, all of us, even grandpa's kids were raised with sovereign grace. Very few of us remain in sovereign grace. Why? How should those of us still in sovereign grace respond? I've watched Dad on this over the years. He's never gotten mean. He's never said, because you have rejected what I taught you, you just stay away from me until you finally accept it. Never done that. But when the opportunity arises, he always brings it up in little bitty increments, reminding them of what they were taught and on some level, small, but on some level, why it would be helpful in that situation. For instance, some Christians are terrified. They're absolutely terrified. They're going to say the wrong thing to someone and they're going to cause that person to burn in hell because they didn't say it just right. Sovereign grace answers that problem. But we don't have to say, if you would just believe what I taught you, then you wouldn't have this problem because then we just build a wall. Okay? Speak not in the use of a fool means don't shove it down their throat. Give them what they can handle. If you don't, he will despise the wisdom of thy words. He will be so angry at you, he will reject what you're talking about just because you said it. Now we need to stop and think about that for a second. Am I saying something in such a way that people will not want what I'm saying just because it's me that's saying it? And what do I do about that? Speak not in the ears of a fool. Does that mean don't talk to them at all? I don't think so. I think it means just keep the next step visible. They, they don't have to fix everything. Just give them the next step. Something that's not hard. What might that be? I submit to you the next step is almost always, what's the Bible say? Almost always. Very rarely do people who don't read the Bible get into situations that they know how to deal with. Let me say that again. <clears throat> Very rarely do people who don't read the Bible 
get into situations that they know how to deal with. Almost always, a Christian will act like a non-Christian if they don't read their Bible. And it's not hard to, not hard to figure out who reads their Bible and who doesn't. So how do we bring up that next step? Well, we could say, you know what? The Bible says this, and if you read your Bible, you know that. Is that going to help anything? No, absolutely not. On the other hand, you could say something like, well, you remember that Bible story where such and such happened and such and such happened and, and what they did? Well, they're not going to want to sound stupid. They're going to say, yeah, I remember something like that. That's always the answer. But I remember something like that. Let them know there's answers in Scripture. Not necessarily that's going to solve the entire problem, but just give them just the next step. That is speaking in the ears of a fool, but in a way that they won't reject. We've got to do things in love, and sometimes we get so wrapped up in the emotion of the situation, which is what I think all these have in common, is the emotion of the situation. Whether you're with a ruler, whether you're with a shady person, whether you're with a person that should know better, the emotion takes over, and the guidance that we give tends to get watered down to a point to where it's not effective anymore. Verse 10, remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Eleven verses ago we saw Proverbs 22, 28, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Just eleven verses ago, at the very end of the previous chapter, this is likely a third writer. This is likely a third writer. Remember you got Solomon up to verse number, I can't remember what it is. But, uh, huh? 16. 16. You got Solomon. Then he begins quoting other people. Now he's got a second person he's quoting in this new section. It's likely a third writer being added to Solomon's collection. Why place it so soon? Why place it so soon? This one adds something. That's verse number 11. For their Redeemer is mighty. He shall plead their cause with thee. Remove not the old landmark and enter not to the field of the fathers. For their Redeemer is mighty. He will defend them. This writer adds something. And I think it again has to do with the emotion of the situation. If you're tempted, and all of us are, all of us are tempted to cut corners just because doing things the right way often just takes too long. Remember that God will defend them. God will defend them. What does it mean to remove the ancient landmark again? It has to do with property rights. It has to do with, with who owns what and that sort of thing. But we can take this and send it to any area of injustice. Any area. When we're trying to accomplish something and something's in our way, don't just knock it over. Because God might just make them unknockable. Verse 12. Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to words of knowledge. This is all over Proverbs. We've seen this over and over and over again. Again, probably a different writer at this particular point. I think this person, like Solomon, who added this to his collection, is saying, don't let any of this slip by. And I think Solomon puts it here on purpose. 
I think Solomon is reminding us that even though it's not him writing at this point, this stuff is still important. It's still important. As we get later in the book of Proverbs, I don't know if you noticed or not, but there's a lot of repetition going on. And in this section, there's going to be even more repetition because it's people who agree with Solomon or occasionally they will come up with something Solomon hadn't said yet. But the repetition tends to lower our guard. I've heard that one before when we start thinking about something else. I recognize that. Didn't we already talk about that? Whatever, just move on. He's saying apply listen even at this point even at this point we've only got eight chapters to go in the book and because these proverbs that he's quoting tend to be longer the the the, it's going to move a little more rapidly and it's going to be tempting to say you know what just it's okay we've got enough don't let that happen is what this person is saying apply Thy ears to the words of knowledge. Pay attention to what's going on here. Keep trying. Verse number 13. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. The wise speaker agrees with Solomon, who said in Proverbs 22:15, Foolishness is bound to the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Again, just the previous chapter, but this is a different writer who's agreeing with Solomon. Here's the question, though, in this particular instance. This is why, in my opinion, it's different and needs to be paid attention to. Don't answer out loud, but does this to command us to whip our kids? Don't answer does this command us to whip our kids? Thou shalt beat him with the rod. Folks, there are some that say yes. There are some that say, if you don't paddle your kid, you're doing wrong because of that verse right there. Okay? Just so we're clear, I think it commands us to do whatever it takes to make sure they get it. Do whatever it takes. And there's some kids that getting spanking after spanking after spanking, it does not work. We've got to change our approach to find out what they're going to get to. Sometimes we need to look for a more effective way to correct them. Fathers, in Ephesians 6, 4, provoke not your children to wrath. If we spank them, even though it's not effective, wrath is going to be the result. On the other hand, if we try something different, what else could we try? Well, that's when you're the kid. Listen to the kid. The things that they respond to, again, some kids video games, some, some kids being outside, whatever it is, figure out a way to correct them. I think that's what that is saying. Thou shalt correct them. But again, there's a lot of people who totally disagree with me on that, and that's fine. It's absolutely fine, in my opinion, to blindly obey Scripture. It says what it says, and so I'm going to do it even though I don't understand it. That's fine. I think we ought to study. I think we ought to get as clear an understanding as we can, but in the cases like this, where it's like, well, it says that. I'm going to do that. Do it. Just be careful. Just be careful. Now the writer starts talking directly to the child. Could be a different writer in verse 15. 
my son, my son, who's writing here could be the person from verse number 14. Maybe it's a different person, but the, the mode of speaking is definitely different. My son, if my heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice even mine. You will make me happy. Yea, my reins. Stop right there. Don't answer. What are reins? What are reins? If you don't know what reins are, this is going to blow your mind. If you do know what reins are, you're going to think, I remember when that blew my mind the first time. It's not got anything to do with guiding a horse. It's not reins like that. That word reins, if you look it up, literally means kidneys. Literally means kidneys. My kidneys, they were considered to be the center of emotion, which obviously today we know they're not. But in Solomon's day, they were considered to be the, 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 the center of emotion. Does that make this um, incorrect? I don't think so. Like saying from the heart. Today we say, do things from your heart. Do things from your heart. We don't actually mean the thing that pumps blood. Okay? We mean the depths of who you are from your innermost being. That's what we mean when we say from the heart. And I think that, yea, my reins, talking about the kidneys, falls into that category. It's an understanding of where it's coming from. The deepest part of my emotion shall rejoice. Why? If you will be wise. My son, if thine heart be wise, the deepest part of my emotion shall rejoice means a whole lot more when we understand it that way. Every parent, let's back up, okay, my brain shall rejoice when my lips speak right things. Every parent has experienced this at least a little. Every parent has. Let's give them more. For instance, when a child is a toddler and they ask their first question about the Bible, it makes every parent's heart jump. They love it because they're showing some wisdom, some insight into the things of God. Maybe it's just something very small. Maybe it's a question about a Bible story that they don't quite understand. Uh, David Goliath has a lot of these questions that happen to come up, but uh, uh, some of the others as well. My reigns shall rejoice. As children, let's give our parents more. Let's give them more. If your parents are still living, and not all of our parents are still living, but if your parents are still living, give them a moment where you're talking about Jesus. You'll be shocked at how that will give them joy. Even if they're not really into it, but they're going to recognize there's something in you that they successfully put there, and that will make a parent rejoice. If your parents are not alive, this is a good thing to do at church, particularly around the older people. Bring Jesus up in the conversation on your own. You'll be shocked at how that will bring joy to people. Let's stop right there. Father, thank you again for Proverbs. Thank you for the wisdom, the tremendous wisdom that is there. As we've prayed so many times before, please don't let us take it lightly. Please help us to see that it's very, very valuable if we put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <clears throat>